0: I needed to not skate by for once in my life, and they didn't let me. At the end of the day, if you know that you don't feel good about the job, you got to be able to leave that behind. They just kept asking me to come back, and I truly love Milwaukee and Southeast Wisconsin. It's always great to be at WTMJ. This is WTMJ Conversations.
1: Welcome to WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Anwar Floyd Pruitt is an interdisciplinary artist from Milwaukee, and he focuses on community art, puppetry, and mixed media portraitures. He's also the second artist in residence at St. Kate the Arts Hotel. But Anwar isn't your run-of-the-mill artist. Today on Conversations, we're going to find out what makes him so unique And you grew up right here in the city.
0: I did. Yeah, I'm a Milwaukee native.
1: When you were a kid, were you one of the kids that drew all the time? Were you just somebody who wanted to create?
0: That is such a funny question. I was not. But I surrounded myself with friends who did. I was a jock. As a a child, I was always good at sports. And so that's where I think I focused more of my time. But my best friend growing up, he was a fantastic artist. He still is a fantastic artist. And we were inseparable. So I do remember feeling very connected to art at a very young age. And my parents have a wonderful story. There is an artist here in town named Evelyn Patricia Terry. And she came to my school and gave a lecture about art. And then we got to see some of her art as well. and I convinced my parents to purchase one of her pastel drawings for their home.
1: How old were you at the time?
0: I think I was in kindergarten or first grade.
1: And you're advising your parents on what <laughs> to buy.
0: Yeah, I became an art advisor very young <laughs> in life. <laughs>
1: what, what was it about that piece that really said something to you?
0: It was colorful. It's a pastel drawing of a rag doll with these like sort of cubic little chunks of like watermelon that are tumbling past the doll. And it was just really sort of soft and sweet.
1: Amazing. At that age, you saw that and you saw so much beauty in that piece.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I'm so grateful to Evelyn. She gave me my first show here in Milwaukee. So the relationship continues.
1: You said you weren't really into art as a kid, other than telling your parents what to buy. But you were a jock and you ended up at Harvard University. That's huge. How did you end up at that school?
0: I was one of the best running backs in the state in 1995 when I graduated, combined with also being a pretty smart kid whose parents always made sure I was engaged in some sort of after-school activity, student council, those sorts of things. So they were helping me develop a good, strong resume early on.
1: How was that move from center of the country to going to one of the most elite schools in the nation on the East Coast?
0: I made friends quickly. And so it wasn't a difficult shift. Anytime you're part of a team, you know, I played football at Harvard for about a season and a half. I had a shoulder surgery and a knee surgery all before I was 20 years old. And I just didn't have the resolve to push through injuries to try to continue playing sports. But my best friends from Harvard were guys that I met on the football team. So there was sort of a built-in friend group. And I just learned during my time at Harvard that I make friends easily. I consider myself a lifelong learner. There are just so many intelligent people from so many different parts of the world with different experiences. And so I really felt like I was in the middle of something special and that there was so much creative and intelligent energy, you know, sort of bubbling around me.
1: Did you plan on getting a degree in art at Harvard?
0: No, I only took two art courses when I was at Harvard. One of them was during the summer and it was this mixed media art course. And I actually love this Story, and I don't think about it that often, but I made this installation piece and it was large and it contained lots of multiples, which is still something that is present in my practice today, even though I hadn't really studied art at that point. And the professor said, Anwar, I don't know if this is too much or not enough. And I thought to myself, wow, that feels like a really sweet spot, right? Because no one wants too much of anything. But then for it to like also potentially be not enough and leave you wanting more? I thought that was kind of brilliant, and I think back now, and I'm like, okay, I knew what I was doing even before I studied art.
1: So what was your degree in, Anwar? Psychology. And how did you arrive at that?
0: I was interested in psychology even as a high school student. I did do an internship with a local psychiatrist when I was young, and I was able to go with her to a few children's clinics or children's hospitals where there were young people with mental health concerns. And I learned something from that early on, that I was such an empathetic person that it was difficult for me to spend a whole day engaging with people's pain, some of their trauma and not sort of take that home with me. And so I continued to study psychology at Harvard, but I really ended up switching more to like social psychology. And I worked in a psychology lab at Harvard Business School for three semesters or so.
1: And yet after graduation, you came back to Milwaukee.
0: I did. Something that happened at Harvard that is not really part of their curriculum is that I started doing stand-up comedy.
1: Hold on. You did stand-up comedy at Harvard?
0: I did, to mixed reviews at times. I definitely had some moments where I did extremely well and people were laughing. And then I was also booed off the stage. (laughs) Again, too much or not enough.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How long did you do that?
0: I did stand-up for you know, those probably last three years of college started when I was a sophomore. And then when I moved back to Milwaukee, I did stand up comedy here as well. But I found myself engaged in another creative endeavor, filmmaking. And that really sort of took over so much of my creative time. And here I was surrounded by a bunch of wonderful, wonderfully talented and fun loving colleagues, many of them who went to Milwaukee High School of the Arts. And so they had kind of gotten a jump start on their art careers by studying art even in middle school and high school. And I learned so much from them. I was a producer on that film.
1: It was what? A low budget horror film? A low budget film?
0: horror film called Heebie Jeebies. <laughs> and it's not to be confused with the Heebie Jeebies that had a worldwide theatrical release and maybe even spawned a sequel. Our heebie-jeebies was distributed to multiple countries, translated into multiple languages, but a critical mass of people never saw it.
1: So here you are back in Milwaukee. You're doing that. You have a psychology degree from Harvard at this point. Your parents must have been scratching their heads. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, yes, I think even still, they scratch their heads a little bit, but they have been so supportive, and I'm eternally grateful to them. My mother always said, follow your passion, and success will be there. I'm like a yo-yo, and Milwaukee is the hand.
1: Coming up on WTMJ Conversations...
0: His eyes looked at me like, you're wasting my time.
1: <laughs> Anwar Floyd Pruitt talks about a celebrity encounter in new york city
0: you're listening to wtmj conversations
1: welcome back to wtmj conversations i'm your host libby collins let's go back to our conversation with anwar floyd pruitt the second artist in residence at St. Kate the Arts Hotel.
0: I was the Chivas Regal brand ambassador for New York City, and that was quite a job. It was really exciting. I got to travel all over the city in different boroughs spending thousands of dollars every night.
1: With Chivas, on, yeah. With,
0: on Chivas Regal, and I, we were promoting the Chivas 18. I get back to Milwaukee and I tell people I was giving drinks away. Sometimes people said no. And everyone looked at me like I had two heads. What people turn down free drinks? And I said yes. You know, I would offer them a glass of Chivas 18, and someone would say, "Well, I'm a single malt person, or I only drink Johnny Walker." Well, it was New York. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You you
1: must have run into some interesting people.
0: Oh my goodness, I have so many stories, and um, you know, luckily I wrote. Maybe
1: celebrities?
0: (laughs) I did run into some celebrities. One time when I was working for a marketing company and a client was Miller Brewing, I was delivering cases of Peroni Italian beer during Fashion Week. I couldn't find parking anywhere. And so I said, well, i will only be a couple minutes, right? So I get out of my van. I load up the dolly. I wheel it into maybe it was like Dolce Gabbana or someplace that Peroni was supporting for Fashion Week. And when I came back, there was a man standing in front of my van and he looked a little perturbed. He said, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm leaving. But it wasn't his car that I parked in. He was the driver. And then I look in the back seat and it is Adam Sandler.
1: Wait, you took Adam Sandler's parking space.
0: (laughs) I parked him in. And when I looked at him, my eyes got so big. Like, you're Adam Sandler and his eyes looked at me like you're wasting my time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now you've had your adventure in New York. Like you said, yo yo, you're back in Milwaukee and that's when you started working with a lot of kids.
0: Exactly. There was a after-school program that was just walking distance from my house, so I started volunteering there and a lot of that was just helping teenagers with study skills. So someone would say, "Hey, I've got a Spanish test tomorrow and I'm failing Spanish. I just need to pass this test." And then I past the class. And I say something like, ooh, did you make any note cards? No. And I just said, my experience is that making note cards, even if you don't study with them later, just the act of making them is going to help you like retain more knowledge. So if you want, we can sit here for an hour and make these note cards. And kid would come back a week later. I'd say, how'd you do on the Spanish exam? I said, well, I got a B, I got a, you know C, but always do it better than they would have had they not just spent a little time doing some study skills.
1: But during that time, I mean, obviously that had to be very fulfilling work. Was art drawing you nearer? Because by this time, you've got to be, what, close to 30 years old?
0: I was already well into my 30s. So I started with this academic after school program and then I found a job at a company called Express Yourself Milwaukee that was art focused. We would do art interventions with at risk youth and so that's where I think I was starting to feel some real sort of fulfillment through the art making process and also when I was in New York I had started making comedic hip hop videos and collaging. I was married to a fashion designer from Germany at the time. So it was all bubbling up. It wasn't until I got back to Milwaukee and then also started engaging young people in art that I really knew that I was like, wow, this is I'm on the right path. This is what I'd like to do. And I applied to UW-Milwaukee's film program, the MFA program, and I wasn't accepted. And that was such a great gift in a way, because then I thought, well, I had worked as a producer on a film, but I really wasn't a creative on that project. And yes, I'd been making these comedic hip hop videos in New York, but I didn't have a degree in art or film. And that was one of the requirements. And so then I said to myself, if this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life, then start at the beginning. I'm glad that I realized that because it made not getting accepted to the film program not sting as much. You know, I was used to being successful. But then it also meant that I just got to start at the very beginning and be a freshman in art school at UW-Milwaukee. I loved every minute of it.
1: And you went on to get your master's as well.
0: Yep, I graduated from UW-Milwaukee in 2017 with a BFA in sculpture and video art and then I went directly to UW-Madison and got an MFA in video performance and installation art.
1: Coming up on WTMJ Conversations.
0: No matter what I think I know about a material, the material never ceases to amaze me.
1: Anwar Floyd Pruitt talks about being the master of a glue stick.
0: Now more of WTMJ Conversations.
1: Welcome back. I'm Libby Collins. We're talking with Anwar Floyd Pruitt, artist in residence. At St. Kate the Arts Hotel, how many pieces of art do you prepare for an exhibit? Wow.
0: It all depends on the exhibit, but the short answer is a lot. (laughs) When you say a
1: lot, I mean, are we talking 10, 20?
0: We're talking 100. At least. We're talking 100 to 400.
1: That's a tremendous amount of work.
0: It is. And I love every moment of it. I love being in the studio. Depending on what medium I'm working in, not only does it feel like a dance going on in my mind, but if I have a large space to move around and paint, work on five to 10 paintings at a time, then it's really like almost a physical dance as well.
1: Do you become completely immersed? in the project?
0: I do. I was going to mention like getting into flow state. For artists, flow state is a really interesting and sometimes dangerous place. It's where you have like the most creative breakthroughs, right? where you really are in the groove and time ceases to really even exist. And you're just like one with your art practice. Musicians experience a lot as well. You can't stay in flow state. (laughs) You can't stay in flow state forever. You know, you just don't even have enough dopamine in your brain at one time to stay in flow state. So I think my practice is modular sometimes. What do you
1: mean by modular?
0: I make components. It's like these little collages here, right? Which
1: I wish everybody could see, but they're beautiful.
0: (laughs) Thank you. You know, they're they're, they're circles. They start with a circle that's two inches in diameter, and then I stack different colors on them. And, you know, it's a two-inch circle, but once I make 100 of them, then they start to occupy so much more space, like on a collage, and they become more than just those individual pieces. So, if I'm planning a collage that I know requires 100 of these. Or that maybe it'll take 50, but I want to have some variety to choose from. So then I make those 50 pieces, 100 pieces first, and then I go back to them. But when I go back to a table that's covered with like all of these little beautiful pieces, it starts to put me back into flow state, right? Because it feels so immersive and I can see the final objects coming to fruition in my mind.
1: Is it hard to step away then?
0: It's extremely hard to step away. Sometimes your body requires that you step away. There's a body of work at the St. Kate. It's a bunch of silicone faces drawn in silicone caulking and spray paint. And I used a traditional caulking gun to do that work. And so I had to keep squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. And my hands were throbbing. I made 300 of them. And then I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if they make an electric silicone caulking gun. And I got online. One hour later, I've arrived back at my studio from Home Depot with the battery-powered caulking gun.
1: Do you feel as fulfilled as an artist using something like that and implement versus when you're just doing it by yourself?
0: Depending on where one is in not just their career, but if you have a show coming up in two weeks, then you follow the path of least resistance to get the work done. But when you're in your studio and you're experimenting and learning new things, then you know I'd say it's often best or most fulfilling to take the slow path, really get intimately acquainted with the materials and the processes, because no matter what I think I know about a material, and I work with paper, right? So everyone you know, kind of knows what paper, uh, how paper works.
1: But you do things with paper I could never do.
0: Well, you know, and the material never ceases to amaze me and never ceases to teach me. I am 99.9% like the master of a glue stick. But there is that 0.1% of glue sticks that can still teach me something and make my art do something that I hadn't previously anticipated or planned.
1: You have found ways of visiting places that I don't think most people think of. And you create art. For example, you've used DNA as an art form. Mm. How did that come about?
0: I use DNA as a reference point. I haven't actually done any art in any laboratories. But when I was doing the youth work, I did a fair amount of work with incarcerated youth and it made me start thinking about each of our individual senses of agency and who tells our stories and whether we're going to tell our own story or let someone else tell our story and i think that looking at self-portraiture looking at my own family was a great way for me to explore some broader universal ideas and things that we can all sort of relate to and so the deepest dive into like my family or into ancestry it felt like you know the genetic testing the 23andme getting that decoded and then looking at the scientific representation of decoded genetics and taking inspiration from that you know if you've had those tests done they send you back a poster that has like all these different colors on it and all the colors represent something but it's almost like an exploded rainbow or something
1: coming up on WTMJ conversations
0: I said well I want to facilitate a people-powered kinetic sculpture
1: artist Anwar Floyd Pruitt talks about puppets
0: You're listening to WTMJ Conversations.
1: And I'm Libby Collins. Our guest today is Anwar Floyd Pruitt. He's the second artist in residence at St. Kate the Arts Hotel. You've also visited art through Something called the Retina Records.
0: Retina Records, Self-Portraits of a Time Traveler was an exhibition that was at St. Kate the Art Hotel curated by the Museum of Wisconsin Art. And it was the second body of work that I made that was largely a that really deeply sort of integrated ideas of science into the work. And I would say that, you know, speculative fiction or science fiction and when preparing for Retina Records, Self-Portraits of a Time Traveler, one of the big ideas was the idea of Using a mirror and that sort of infinite reflection, you know, if you put two mirrors face to face, then they just sort of that reflection keeps going back and forth. And I thought, well, what about when one of those mirrors are the human eyes and then the reflection is going back and forth and just imagining getting lost in that infinite reflection. And that's where, you know, that's where I found myself sort of traveling back in time, back through DNA
1: when you visit a theme like the retina records or using DNA in your art, is it when you're finished, you're finished? After you've done this project, as like, okay, this is complete. Now I'm moving on to the next thing.
0: It all depends on how much time one has and whether one has a an exhibition coming up. I always have so many bodies of work sort of in progress. So I think part of it is Which medium do I want to work in? I'm not finished exploring time travel, but I don't necessarily know what that next vehicle is and how large that exhibition will be. You know, Retina Records was preceded by Supernova, Charlotte and Jean's Radical Imagination Station. And in that exhibition, I used video art to show my mother's face at age 23 and my father's face at age 24 overlapping, right? And creating new versions of myself or my siblings and what we might look like. And I had, you know, one sort of small installation of that work. I'd love to go back and spend more time doing that through video. I also have so many stencils of my parents' and grandparents' faces made, and I've done certain combinations of them, and I'd like to go back and explore more combinations of them. And then referencing old photos, those photos end up becoming like the DNA of my artistic practice, just like the rawest material that I can then turn into something new.
1: We talked a little bit about you being drawn to be a performer. You have now integrated your art in sort of a performance art, I guess I'd call, because you're involved in puppetry.
0: I am. I never studied puppetry officially, but... I was sitting in my studio in Madison during my first year of grad school. I had actually just finished making those large, colorful silicone caulking faces that are hanging at St. Kate. And I then had an opportunity to work with youth at the Dane County Juvenile Detention Center. And somewhere in my mind, I said, well, I want to facilitate a project where the final sort of object is a people-powered kinetic sculpture. And I was sitting and thinking about that and I thought, oh a puppet is a type of people-powered kinetic sculpture. But I wanted to make these puppets out of accessible materials. The basic mechanism is corrugated cardboard, a wooden dowel, a straw, hot glue, and a rubber band. And that's how you make like a mouth that sort of opens and closes. And For $10 and a trip to the dollar store, you can get all of those materials. I mean, the corrugated cardboard, you can just go to most recycling bins and pick that up. But a professional puppet maker, it still takes... You know a week to make a Muppet (laughs) and if I only have 90 minutes for an art intervention then I just need the materials to be again accessible so I started making puppets for that reason and then one of my professors just said okay well when are you going to start performing them and that was a bit of a challenge right I do love the making I hadn't done performance in a very long time and honestly my time as a liquor rep in New York felt like a performance, and I was sort of worn out by that. And so now I was just looking for new energy to bring these puppets, these inanimate objects to life, and so... just started thinking about like the path of least resistance, right? I'm always listening to music in my studio. I'm always singing along. I was dancing along. And that's when I started thinking about developing a hip-hop puppet party. And I performed it a few times in 2019. It was a family-friendly hip-hop sing-along. By the end of the show, there were probably six elementary schoolers on stage operating these like three-foot puppets that were like, the puppets were bigger than the kids.
1: And you were doing (laughs) the voices for all of
0: them? I was doing the voices I had an assistant named Miguel who was also performing with me and we had pre-recorded a soundtrack but I learned from that experience that I need more performers I didn't have like the lung capacity or enough energy to do that performance just the two of us particularly when there's also kid corralling involved and getting people on stage
1: (laughs) still ahead on WTMJ conversations
0: he wasn't really there for a conversation he was drunk he was angry he wanted to know like his life didn't matter.
1: Anwar Floyd Pruitt talks about being physically attacked while creating a mural in Madison and how that has influenced his work.
0: You're listening to WTMJ Conversations.
1: And I'm Libby Collins. Our guest today is Anwar Floyd Pruitt, artist in residence at St. Kate the Arts Hotel. This is probably emotional for you, but in Madison, you were creating a mural. And you were attacked. Yeah. You were just into your art. You weren't bothering anybody. You were just painting a mural. What happened?
0: You know, this is broad daylight, probably around 3 p.m. in the afternoon. It's a summer day. It's on State Street, and maybe the intersection was Gorham or something like that, so a very busy intersection. And... This was a commissioned mural. I didn't go and grab my paint and the side to uh, go and make, you know. You uh,
1: were doing graffiti or anything. Uh, yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. And
0: I would say that that entire experience, that week or week and a half where I was painting murals, the whole country, the whole world had this like really different energy, right? And so people would stop and they wanted to talk. They wanted to talk about the art. They wanted to talk about the politics. People would say, I don't like the work you're making, right? And I would say, why not? And they said, well, it feels too happy, and this is not a happy moment, right? And I said, well, come back tomorrow. Because what I'm doing is working in layers, right? So I'm putting on this first layer that had like a certain feeling to it. And then the next day I'd come back and put down the next layer. And then you would see how different symbols, colors, how the composition would start to come together and start complexifying the conversation. So I had friends helping me with the mural. I'm 6'3", 255, 69's right now. You
1: you have a presence about you. And I had
0: a friend with me who was even larger. You know, there was a person who was drunk in the middle of the day on State Street. I don't know him, but I can imagine a group of people we've been with who were drunk, All day. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't want to use disrespectful language in terms of uh, people who are suffering from mental illness and are on the streets or people who, you know, have housing insecurity. But here's this guy drunk a middle of the day. And he didn't like I was holding a large stencil that said Black Lives Matter. Right. And so I was about to start stenciling that. And he lunged at me. I was standing inside of a bus stop, so the wind wasn't blowing my stencil away. So I found myself sort of cornered in this bus stop. And I didn't realize that this person was antagonistic when they first came up to me and wanted to know, hey, what are you doing? I'm painting a Black Lives Matter mural, just asking these questions. And I'm just a kind person and a conversationalist and realized that this was this like really important moment in all of our lives and in U.S. history. And so I definitely wanted to engage people in conversations about it. And, you know, he wasn't really there for a conversation. He was drunk. He was angry. He wanted to know why his life didn't matter it was a white gentleman in his 50s, probably getting drunk in the middle of the day. And he attacked me physically. Physically, yes. He assaulted me, and I ended up fracturing my hand when defending myself.
1: As an artist, uh, that's your tool, your hand.
0: Yes, and it still aches. Right. I mean, anytime you break a bone or fracture something, it aches. I can see how important physical therapy is to the longevity of my hand health so that I can continue making tiny little collages so that I can manipulate puppets. I 100 percent don't continue to blame this person. I'm certainly over him. Some of the repercussions of that incident still linger. I was going to say, did
1: it change the kind of art that you create going through an incident like that? Did it influence some of your pieces?
0: It did, absolutely. I had an exhibition at the Chazen Museum of Art in Madison, and because of the pandemic, we weren't in our studios, right? Our school year ended kind of abruptly, but there was sort of this, uh, you know, I had this great opportunity to have a solo show at a museum and it was postponed eight months or something like that. And when I finally got back into my studio, I also found that there wasn't really enough time to make all of the work that I had originally planned for that exhibition. I had a whole 16-foot wall that I didn't know what to do with or what I was planning on doing. Just didn't have the time for it. And I decided to display a 100 or so puppets that were made by incarcerated youth along with the phrase Black Lives Matter on the wall. And I'm glad I did. It was the right message at the right time. It allowed me to share the work of the young people that I've been working with, you know, in the detention center, majority of whom are black. And I'll never look back on that with any regret. I could have put my own art there, you know, and that was the plan initially. But I think to share that space with the zeitgeist, you know, with positive energy, with civil rights, was really important.
1: Coming up on WTMJ Conversations...
0: It's kind of a dream come true.
1: Anwar Floyd Pruitt talks about the joy of being an artist in residence at St. Kate The Arts Hotel.
0: Now, more of WTMJ conversations.
1: I'm Libby Collins. Today's conversation is with artist Anwar Floyd Pruitt. Let's talk about today. Yes. Because you are the second artist in residence at St. Kate The Arts Hotel, and I've been in your studio. You weren't there but I was there and you're surrounded by your art. But how exciting that you're there on a regular basis and you actually meet with people and you talk with them and you exchange ideas.
0: This residency at St. Kate, it's kind of a dream come true. Going back to art school 10 years ago to pursue a career in arts, every day as an artist, particularly every day walking into St. Kate and seeing that installation feels like frosting. Frosting on this like wonderful, delicious cake that is like my art career. And so uh, it's a real honor. It's a real honor to be the second artist in residence there. And I'm grateful to the first artist in residence, Jeff Zimple. He did such a fantastic job. People come back to St. Kate looking for Jeff. He isn't there. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> but
1: onward's there.
0: But people have such fond memories of their time with him. And so I know that this is like an important residency, right? and that there's so much positive energy there that it's an honor, but it's also important to be able to continue with that positive energy and to create more sort of great stories and interactions with people who come to one of Milwaukee's sort of premier art locations. Usually you don't get to meet the artist. Usually you just get to see the art. And in the case of this residency, you get to meet the artist, me, you get to sit down and make some collages or make art with me if you're interested. I've tried to make the space interactive in different ways at different times. So there is a photo wall there. And for the first month or so, I asked visitors to the space to go through my collection of photos and help me curate that photo wall. At the most recent gallery night, I took down all of those photos which I had taken and gave uh, visitors to the space. Cameras, Polaroid cameras, right? The instant photography. Polaroid cameras that were full of film and free reign to walk through the hotel and take pictures, take pictures in my studio. You know, one person even took the camera, well, asked permission, but he took the camera around the city with him on gallery night and came back later that night with 10 awesome photographs that he had taken that evening. And so there's always something to do in the space.
1: Tell me about this super sway make and take gift away.
0: So <laughs> if you come to the space, you'll see that it is nearly covered floor to ceiling in artwork, but the studio is 18 feet tall, which is a real gift. It it's, isn't it's a often, huge space. It isn't often that you get to uh, see your work at 18 feet tall, but down around six feet tall and lower on one of the walls, is I call it the Super Swag Make and Take Gift Away Wall. They're small collages that are either wearables or magnets or little ornaments. And people are welcome to come in and make a collage and exchange the collage they make for something that is on the Super Swag Make and Take Gift Away Wall. Or if you don't have time to make a collage, you're always welcome. Well, I always invite you to take a piece of super swag with you from the super swag make and take gift away wall. (laughs) St.
1: Kate is such a phenomenal gift to the city of Milwaukee. And the fact that you're there, the artist in residence, until when?
0: I will be there through August of 2024.
1: So you'll be there for a while. Yes. And on one day a week at what time?
0: The best time to come and visit me is on Saturdays between 10 a.m. and 8 p.m. I am there on weeknights as well. But Saturdays are my favorite. It's just you settle in for a long stretch. You get a wonderful variety of people who are visiting the hotel. It's really heartwarming how many parents will bring their kids on staycations to St. Kate, just because their child is a budding artist, and I've had kids stop into the studio and sit and collage with me for an hour. There's always these beautiful weddings taking place at St. Kate, and it's been a real honor for wedding parties to want to come into my studio and take wedding photos, have my art and my studio as part of their memories of very personal and warm occasions. There are multiple galleries at St. Kate, And so in addition to coming and meeting with me, there are fantastic art exhibitions by the Museum of Wisconsin Art, as well as the curator in residence, Shane McAdams. I give a tour every Saturday around 530. So a person should go to St. Kate's website and sign up for that tour. But you know, the curator in residence, Shane, gives a tour every Friday around that time. There's so much art activity in the seed collection that Greg Marcus and Linda Marcus purchased for the hotel is fantastic. You know, you've got international blue chip artists represented in their seed collection, as well as some of Milwaukee's most prominent artists.
1: As we said, it's a phenomenal place. And Anwar Floyd Pruitt is the artist in residence at St. Kate the Arts Hotel until August of 2024. Anwar, what a pleasure to have you here.
0: Libby, thank you so much. It's been really fun speaking with you today.
1: We've been talking with Anwar Floyd Pruitt, He, of course, is the second artist in residence at St. Kate the Arts Hotel. But he has such an interesting story as to how he went to Harvard, got a psychology degree, and didn't really get involved in art professionally until he was well in his 30s. Now, if you joined us late and you want to hear the entire conversation with Anwar, go to WTMJ.com and share today's show with your friends and family. You'll also find a partial transcript courtesy of eCourt Reporters. For WTMJ Conversations, I'm Libby Collins.